Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you Today in 930 Huddle, I asked a question, and I kind of want to ask it to you guys. You don't have to answer it, but maybe you could think about it, uh, just because <clears throat> it's fun to do that sometimes and say, yeah, what is it? I asked, I said, you know, what is your, like, <clears throat> your theme? What is, like, your, your favorite topic in the Bible? I mean, obviously, we should say, oh, the whole Bible is my favorite thing, but, like, what is, like, your go-to thing that really just, like, you love? That, that you really enjoy reading, studying, going to, and uh, just kind of see, like, I don't know. For me, uh, I, I have one, and I know you, you probably heard me say it. Um, I, I was sharing with them, like, sometimes I take the garbage can out, and when I take it out, I'm like, oh, just until I go outside for air or to get something outside, and I, and, I, and I walk outside of my house, and I just start to stare up. I don't know if anyone's weird like this. And, and I just started to look at the stars, which are very <laughs> minimal here in Miami. I mean, it doesn't really give justice. Uh, if you were up in the mountains, like in Carolina or something like that, you could see them a little bit closer. You could almost feel them, and you could almost feel like you could touch them. But here, you know, I just go out there and I look at the stars, and I just look at the heavens, and I just stand there, and I just stand there, man, Lord, how awesome would it be if I could just see like a burning ball of fire? Just fly, like, I think those thoughts. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. Like, don't pray those things. But I do. I'm like, man, it would be so cool to just see like an angel fly over me, the way you describe them in Scripture. And uh, sometimes I just stare up there. I'm like, man, if I could just break the heavens, are you above us? Like, well, how does your glo- what's your glory up there look like? Because, you know, when Jesus prayed, he would always look up. So there's something up there, for sure. So I just started thinking weird thoughts like that. Anyone with me? All right. Thank you for being crazy with me. So I, I do love to speak on things like that, like heaven, and I do like to speak on um, eternity and heaven and, 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 and all those things. And, and today I might want to touch on this because in Scripture we do see uh, there's a few um, examples of throne room experiences. Um, we see the uh, very popular ones in, uh, in Isaiah. Um, can you guys hear me good? I'm sorry. I'm just going to pause and get comfortable. You guys, all right, good. I feel like there's like a muffle or I feel like I hear me far and I'm hearing me double. It was fine when we get the moment here. We do thank Rudy and Yoslang. We're not, we're not knocking them. We're just, I want to get comfortable. Praise God. Um, but um, I, uh, we see that in Isaiah, Ezekiel, we also see like John. Those are popular ones, but they're not the only ones. Um, I could have had these throne room experiences, but they're very popular ones that we always go to. Bring me the handheld, somebody. Please. The handheld. Amen, amen. Um, so I want to kind of jump into this. But before we do this, what was one of the last things uh, that Jesus tells his, uh, tells his disciples? What was one of the last things? I will send the comforter. All right. I will send the comforter. I will be with you to the end of time. All right. These are all good things. Um, After his resurrection, do you remember a very popular thing he said? He says to his disciples, right? And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says something very important, and we've learned this and heard this here. We teach this. And he says, go. Go, therefore. And he gives them this command, and he says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of age. I want you to see this push to his disciples to go. Here's Jesus, he's, he's appearing to them after the resurrection, 
and he's telling them to go. And, you know, the more you study the Bible, the more amazing Jesus is. Like, like here he is, and he's resurrected, and he's in this form, and he's appearing to his disciples, and he's still pushing them forward. And, and you're listening there, and you're present. You're like, here he is, and he's telling me to keep going, to, to keep presenting to others what, what has happened here in our life with him. And I started to think about the Great Commission and about going. And I said, it's important that we go. And it's important that we serve others. And Frank Trotta was here last week, and we heard a little bit about what that could look like. So I wanted to kind of continue in that and what that looks like. But I started to say, if we're going to go, we need to really have the right mindset as we go and even before we go. Because if we're just going and we do it with the wrong mindset, um, what truth and what power does our going even have? So we know that we are called to go, and hopefully you see that just in Matthew 28, in the scripture that I just read. He says, to go, therefore. So we are called to go, and we are called to take the word, and we are called to be light into darkness. We're called to these things, and to baptize people, and to disciple people. This is what we're called to do, to do life among others, and to go and do these things. So yes, it's what we need to do. But as we speak on the mindset and the mindset to serve, I thought about Paul and something Paul wrote before we get into Isaiah. And Paul says something that is important that I just kind of want to chew on and take some time on a little bit more before we jump into uh, my last thought in Isaiah. And it's what Paul tells us to do. He says all these great things in the book of Romans. But we know this very popular part in chapter 12, especially in verse 1 and 2, where he says to do something, and we even sang a song about it. He says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You've heard that before? Sounds cultish? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Come before him, and, and here you are. It's a sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. And present it, your bodies. And then he says, holy and acceptable to God. And then he gives us this other understanding of what he's saying here. It's not cultish. It's not weird. It's not, look what Paul says here. For that right there is your, depending on your translation, is your spiritual worship or your reasonable service. So you read verse 1, you say, well, what is my reasonable service? What is my purpose in worship? What is my spiritual, spiritual worship unto the Lord? What is my reason of serving unto the Lord? And Paul says, here it is. I start off by saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And in that right there, that's where worship begins. Worship begins when our own lives, all of our beings, are presented to the Lord as a living sacrifice, holy, and is acceptable to Him. Our worship starts there. Our worship, that's where it's recognized. That's where it goes from. That if my worship starts anywhere, it's here in the moment where it's unto God. So I'm going to ask you to write this in your notes. Where does your worship start? It should be unto God. Our worship starts unto God. Because if it does not start unto God, then we fall to the danger, listen to this, that whatever we do unto others does not hold testimony in eternal life. I want, do you not want your life to hold testimony in eternity? I do. We should. So if it does not start unto the Lord, then what is it that we're doing and who are we doing it for and who are we doing it to? Paul is really taking us to a place to understand that before you do anything for anyone, it's first a life that has been presented before the Lord. And from that presentation before the Lord, that is where the power of your service unto others is found. It begins there. 
It starts first unto the Lord so that whatever we do unto others, it is with the purpose and with the glory of Christ in mind and in heart. So I thought about this and I said, before I could ever grab an instrument and play and hit a note, before I ever could ever sing a song, before I could ever do any of these things that we could see up here in a gathering, in a service, before we do any of all of that stuff, musical and dancing and whatever it is, before I could bring any kind of worship, it first starts with, is my whole being acceptable, holy, and is it presented before the God? Is it presented before my God as a living sacrifice? Think about Romans 12.1, and it's deeper than just like, oh, yeah, guys, live good. Oh, Regal, by the way, live pure. Regal, by the way, like, be a Christian. No, it's your worship starts here, and this is your spiritual worship. This is the reason of your service, and he doesn't end there. So he breaks all that down in verse 1, and in verse 2 he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, and here's the mind, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. So Romans chapter 12 verse 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable. That is your purpose. That is your reason. That is your worship. And then he says, and in that do not, not once, not ever, be conformed to this world. So what is it that we are to be and continue to become? And Paul says, it's a transformation. It's a renewal of your mind. And I said, so wait a minute. My unto the Lord and my unto others also deals with, what my, with the condition of my mind. The condition of my mind. You, do you remember, um, it's not in my notes, but I just thought about it as I was saying, um, the demoniac. Remember that everyone said he's crazy. You don't pass by there because he's in the grave sites and he cuts himself and he's naked. And he was known in the town as the crazy man. Remember that story? Jesus comes, touches him, heals him. The spiritual leaders come back, and what do they see? They see the demoniac. He's clothed. He's no longer naked in shame. And do you remember what, the, what they say about the demoniac? He's at the feet of Jesus. And then what, how do they describe him? He, huh? He has his right mind. He has a sound mind. The demoniac came to a place where his mind was renewed. His mind was restored. So I want us to look at this where Paul says, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So we need to renew. So let's think about the word renew. Well, what does the word renew mean? I mean, we don't need a dictionary. We don't have to really break that down. Um, hopefully we all know what the word renew means. The word renew is to restore something to new. Renew something. Restore it to new. And what are we going to restore to new? What is it that we're going to renew? Paul writes, well, restore to new your mind. Well, what's the mind? The mind is where your intellect and understanding is found. So that means I need to restore to new the intellect and understanding of my mind. So outside of Christ, if we're going to do anything, if I'm going to serve anyone, um, I... Um, uh, our fellowship does a lot of missions, and we're very missional-oriented um, people, and I love that, that we get to go to Haiti, and we get to go to Honduras, and we get to go to Guatemala. There's a group right now that's about uh, a group of 50-something that's about to go to Colombia, and we do all these different <clears throat> things. <clears throat> but if we're going to do anything missional, if we're going to do anything of service, if we're going to intently serve someone, Maybe it's an organization, it's a people group. Well, first there has to be a true transformation. First there has to be a renewal of your intellect and of your understanding. And then it's all, if it's not, if there's not a renewal, it's scary because then it's all done in good deeds. And it's all done with good works. And what's scary about that is, does it lack the power of God, which can only transform? So one of my questions was uh, to, in 930, Haru, I says, we came off our fast. Many people fasted, but now what? Now, now you, you go and you have to serve people. 
and love people and do life with people. We're called to that. We're in this world. And there's a reason why he put us in this world. <clears throat> you're, not of, you're not in the other world that, you're part, that you belong to. You're here now. And there's purpose for that. So if, if I'm going to be <clears throat> a work of God here, then I have to make sure that there is a renewal that happens. There are so many people, <clears throat> so many people, um, so many orga or, um, or organizations that are doing the right thing and good things. They're, they're doing some really good things for humanity. They're doing good things in all different countries. I, I love watching some of the documentaries. I'm a very big documentary person. And I look at some of these guys and some of these groups. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's amazing what they're doing to, the, to these primitive groups and, and all over the world. But then when, I, when the episode ends or when I'm stopped watching it on YouTube, I'm like, there's one thing that was lacking, which was the most important thing. Salvation. Christ was not heard. Christ was not. And it, it's like, ah, oh, there, was, there was like that most important thing. That, everything was so good. All the works were amazing. And there are so many organizations that are like that. And don't get me wrong. We give them credit and we're thankful for them because at least they're doing something. They're doing something for good. But listen to this as we get into today's stop. But followers of Jesus Christ, like you and I, who have the spirit of the living God dwelling in us. We don't just have the opportunity to do good deeds, to help people in need. That's not the only thing that we have. But we have the power of Christ that can ultimately transform someone into eternal life. And that's what makes you different and me different. Our faith different. Our Christ different. His word different. His word is different because Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, you know what he says right after that? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Who else can say that? That you and I belong to a remnant, to a people, to a family, to an organism that holds on to a truth which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I mean, this is who you and I are. So if the Spirit of God lives in us, then the Spirit, the message of the gospel does too. And our Bible tells us that it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So I thought about this and I said, all right, Lord, there's so many people that come and they just need to renew their minds and their intellect, their understanding to say, it's yours, Lord. It's for your glory. It's for your honor. And I started thinking about this. And I said, so maybe when people hear things like this, they hear that the Lord is calling them. They feel like the Lord is calling them. Maybe God is calling me to be a little bit bolder with my family. Maybe God is calling me to be a little bolder. How many of you have prayed for like... um? Missions across the world. Any ever done that? All right, good. How many have ever prayed for like missions within our very own community? Ever done that? All right. How many of us have knocked in our neighbor's house and shared the good news to them? Like, think about that. Our very own back, we're praying for our community, and God's like, knock on their door and invite them to dinner and let them see Jesus. I know it gets really weird like that, right? But do it, be it, go. Therefore, to all the nations. And, and then we're like in Miami. And guess what? Next to me, I have Cubans. And in the other side, I have Hondurans. I have nations next to me. I think behind me, I have a family of Mexicans. I have nations. In my neighborhood, I have, in the corner, I have an American family. I have nations. So I don't have to raise $5,000 so I could take a mission trip tomorrow. All I need is one act of boldness so that maybe I could save my community starting today. Go, therefore. Go to the nations. You're so blessed that God's brought nations to you. And it starts right here. It begins right here. Amen? So I thought about this and I said, well, maybe a lot of people hear this. Like, man, maybe God's calling me to be more bold and speak more to my family, speak more to my neighbors, speak more at work, to be more bold for the things of God. Um... And, and you're hearing, like, that's me. I, I feel that way. And maybe you could ask this, or maybe you know someone that's asking this, but where do I start? I've been there. Where do I start? 
Or, or where do I go? I mean, I kind of give you a pointer already of where you should go. Where do I go? Or I like this one because I've done this. Who do I go with? Who do I go with? What should I say? How should I say it? What do I do? How should I do it? We ask all these questions, right, when, when God is starting to call us. You've ever felt that God has called you to be bold and then you start to ask other questions like, oh, yeah, but what about, it's like Moses. But I can't speak, but I can't. And God's like, yeah. Aaron, uh, uh, drop the rod. Uh, like, God's like, I got you. All I need is for you to go. And you ask all these questions. I have, what do I say? Where do I go? Who's going to go with me? And the answer is just begin to go. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, God was calling a people to go. We started today's message with the Great Commission. Jesus resurrects, appears to his disciples. He's like, what up, Jay? What are you doing? He's like, I got to give you one last thing. Go there for. <laughs> and baptize people and disciple people and teach them everything I've taught you. And they're like, oh, okay, we got it. He had to come back and remind them again. So all over the Old Testament, New Testament, he says to go. Maybe you're waiting for a certain class. Maybe you're waiting for something to open up on YouTube. Maybe you're waiting for you to enter some sort of seminary. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament that did not exist, what you need to do is go with the word of your testimony and with the power of Christ, walk your light into darkness and watch people come to know the saving power of Jesus Christ. Go. Are we there? Are we understanding this? So in the Old and New Testament, God's calling people to go. And your heart may be burning with the message of the gospel you received. Your life gives testimony of the miracle that he just performed or has performed. Or your eyes see and they give witness of the wonders of heaven. It's like when I go outside and I'm like, huh. oh God, let me see a fireball. Weird thoughts. Only, it's like a son. A son does that. Children do that. Something my kid would say. Like, dad, do the magic trick again. And, you're like, and they're like, oh, I love it. And it's like, that's how I am before God. It's like, come on, let there be an angel come over me. Like, weird. What is it? Your heart is in heaven. Your heart is for the things of God. But wait a minute. I get what's happening here, but how about everyone else around me? Do they see it? Do they understand? Do they feel what I'm feeling? Can I, can I have this conversation with them? You know heaven's real. You know, you know God's real. Go, you've seen it. And you take the message to the ends of the earth. And you don't have to go too far. It's right here in your backyard. So what, what, before, we're about to get into Isaiah 6, I promise. Here it is. We live in a time where we feel, I'm going to speak to myself and I'm putting a, a huge mirror in front of me. Like if you're not here and I'm just talking to myself. We feel like we need money. Well, maybe if I had more money, God could use me. The son of man had no place to lay his head. He never said, well, God, maybe if I was a little bit richer, Father, I could be like the God of the world that you want me to be, the Messiah. He had no place to lay his head. And we ask ourselves, I just need more money to do the work of God. Maybe I just need to be, I, I need to get around more creative people. I need more creativity. Or I need to, I need the, I need to have better talent. Um, who, who can go with us? I need the best talent to go with us. People, you know, people think, do you know that people plant churches and they won't plant a church until they feel like they have enough creativity to start a church? Where in the Bible is that seen? Those are good things to have if God blesses you. But you're trusting in money and creativity and someone's talent to start the work of heaven on earth? And sometimes you and I, we think like that. Maybe if I had more money, I could do better things for God. Maybe if I was more, I don't know, if I thought this way. So if our service is unto the Lord, I want to encourage you with this. You have what it takes. Are you ready for this? If your service, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. If your service is unto the Lord, here it is, you have the power of God in you. But I don't have money. But you have power. But I'm not that creative. You have power. But I've never finished like seminary. You have power. 
And God will know how to work everything else out. He works it all out without your money, without creativity, without talent. The Lord will use you to reach others because he's called you and because he loves them. And he will use you just well. So here's my thing to you because now I'm going to get into Isaiah. What does the Lord really want from you? Let's have a conversation. What does the Lord really want from us? Faithfulness. To be merciful. It's almost like the Holy Spirit's here and he's whispering to you. He's like, are you available? Are you available? All I need is for you to be available and watch what I could do with your availability. I could prove it to you biblically with one of my favorite throne room accounts, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. When I say the word Isaiah to you, what do you think? The name Isaiah. You think, oh. right? Who said that? Warrior. Prophet of God. Prophet of God. Man of God. I mean, we give these titles to these men. Whoa, Isaiah. We're going to talk about him. That's heavy. What's heavy? Have you read Isaiah 6? He just wants to know if you're available, not if you have all the resources. He just wants to know if your life would be a living sacrifice to him. The Lord just wants to know, like, is, it, is your whole purpose of being, a, is it your reasonable service and your spiritual worship unto the Lord, all of your being to him? Are you willing just to be available and make yourself available today in order so that I, the Lord, he says, could use you to serve others and available so that I could send you to finally go? So here's Isaiah chapter 6 because we love it. Here it is. In Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah, let's go through a summary, finds out that he's in a very difficult moment. We're going to break down Isaiah for, real quick. We'll get so deep, but enough for you to get the point. What was his difficult moment? Um, his king just died. Uh, king Uzziah has just died. And if you study this king, he was one of the very few kings who did good in the sight of the Lord. So for Isaiah, everything's going good. Why? Because the one who sits on the throne here on earth is a good man who fears God. And because of him, he's doing things right. So it's easy for me to be the man of God here because the king is doing well on the earth. Uzziah gets leprosy. It's a crazy story. He dies from one moment to another. And the word comes, I love the word, to Isaiah. And he finds out, oh no, the king is dead. And you start to see the prophet, the warrior, the man of God. Oh, he's really human. He's extremely human with a lot of frailties and a lot of insecurities and a lot of sin in his life. This man of God, Isaiah, also has some issues. And he finds himself, as the king has just died, a good king who did good on the land and good for Israel in the sight of the Lord, a king that caused, caused Israel to prosper and to do good. Isaiah finds out he's dead. Not just dead. Oh no, but he died a tragic death, which is even worse. And God, being faithful, sees Isaiah's whole issue that's going on with him in his bedroom maybe going back and forth crying pulling out his hair making phone calls texting oh my god i don't know what to do whatever's going on god being faithful sees his discomfort sees that he is concerned so god does something that only god could do he appears to isaiah in such a powerful way how have you been in a place of brokenness? You've been distraught. You've been in pain. And God showed up in the middle of it and said, watch how I'm God in the middle of what you're going through. Ever been there? Isaiah is there, broken, confused. Study chapter 6. And God's like, watch me. Be God. Just watch this. And he takes Isaiah into a vision. <laughs> He opens Isaiah's eyes. 
And as he opens his eyes, he, Isaiah is taken into this vision. And what does Isaiah see? What I do when I take out my garbage and I long to do. God, if you showed it to Isaiah, show it to me. That's what I do. I take out my garbage. I go outside. I said, rip the heavens open. Let me see the throne room. Like, I want to see it. I want to see it. I want to see the seraphim angels. Let them grab a coal from the altar with a tongue and put it on my lips from a man of a clip. I want to see it. Like, weird conversations like that with God. I know I'm not the only weird one here. It has to be at least one more. And Isaiah is in this place. And the Lord takes him to a vision. The king died. Don't forget that. The king of Israel died. And, 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 and should we read it and then we'll go over it? Let's just read it. It's fun. Let's read verses 1 through 9. This is so good. Ready? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Like, that, like period, close the book, like that was enough. And he was high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, six wings they had. Two, they covered their face. Two, they covered their feet. And with the other two, they flew here and there. And one called to the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the other one probably said, yeah. And then the other one might scream, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. And they were singing these songs and making these declarations in heaven. Isaiah is watching this unfold. Church. And then it says, the, the children of Israel kind of got a glimpse of this. When they were before the mountain, the mountain began to quake. Remember the thunderings and the smoke and the pillar? And they were like, whoa, Moses, you go speak to God, not us. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. They saw that on earth, the children of Israel. When the Lord would touch up on the mountain. And the whole mountain would become the mountain of God. Do you know that the mountains got a name and the name was called the mountain of God in Moses' day? Powerful. And when Isaiah sees this whole encounter, he could only do but one thing. I love it. Thank you, God, that the man of God, the prophet, the warrior does this. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Wow. I stink. And my crew around me that I'm hanging with, they stink too. We're all in danger before what I'm seeing here. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a burning coal that he's taken with tongues from the altar. And he touches my mouth. And look what the angel of God says. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. There is no condemnation before the presence of God. In Isaiah, the Lord is dealing with man's condemnation. You live, you, do you live condemned here? Do you live guilty here? May the Lord touch you so that you will not be in guilt anymore and condemnation anymore. You've repented, you've asked forgiveness, you move forward and you live righteous. But to live in condemnation, the angel says, He's taken away your guilt. And your sin is atoned for. You are forgiven of your sins. Wow. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, now he hears the Lord saying, whom shall I send? I mean, I'll faint. Whom will go for us? And in that moment, Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. Go and tell the people this very difficult message that Isaiah was to give them. Let's pause for a moment. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm doomed. And everyone I hang out with is doomed. Did you catch that? Boom. Instantly, his whole language changed. His whole mindset changed. He went from I'm doomed to instantly saying what? 
send me, here I am. Sign, I'm signing up. What do you think happened to Isaiah? Where did he get transformed? Repentance, transformation. Where did that start? God dealt with his mind. And instantly he said, my understanding and my intellect comes to know, for he is holy and I am not. He touched them with his goodness and Isaiah's life was transformed forever. <sighs> he sees the vision. Let's get into this and it won't take long. We'll wrap this up soon. And the king is dead, Uzziah. Stop for a moment. His earthly problem is King Uzziah is dead, correct? Instantly, the Lord gives him a vision, and who does he see? A king on a throne. And is that king dead? Nope. He's actually very powerful and very much alive. How do we know that? Because there's something that is described in the vision when he sees the Lord, the king, sitting on his throne. What's going on with his robe? It's very large. It's so large. You've ever been to a wedding? You've seen some of these brides? They overdo it, man, with the train of their, of their, of their wedding dresses. Some of them overdo it. I mean, have you ever seen, like, the queen of, like, when the queens get married? I mean, the train of their robe, of their dress, is from the altar all the way to the end door. It's like, you need 100 people to fix those dresses. When Isaiah sees the king on his throne... He doesn't just see a king. He's wearing a robe, and the train of his robe is so large that it's consuming and it's filling the whole temple. I, what is Isaiah worried about? The king just died. My righteous king, Uzziah, who held Israel together, just died. He's worried. Boom. He's taken to a vision, and what does the Lord say? Who died? the king who sits on the throne and my train fills the temple and the reason why my train is so long Isaiah is to show you my royalty my power my holiness there is no train like the train of my robe it fills the temple and don't ever forget that the one that you see today as you worry on earth reigns in heaven and on earth. You worry for a king and what may come when your eyes should be on the king and who I am. I sit on the throne and the train of my robe fills the temple. Isaiah is drawn by that and says, oh my God, the one true king. I'm worried about Uzziah, but what I see is the Lord my king with his power filling and consuming the temple of God. Isaiah is taken to a place of reality. You're so stuck on your mentality, on your understanding, and on your intellect, on the worries and consumed on the things of this earth, when you haven't taken a moment to glance at my throne to show you that I still sit on my throne in power and my train is still wrapping around because I have full authority on heaven and on earth. What does he tell the disciples? All authority has been given. I wear the robe with a long train which fills the temple. I am the authoritative, powerful king that reigns on the throne. And Isaiah sees that in his day. And he's floored. In the vision, the Lord is sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe fills the temple. And Isaiah learns that the Lord is actually the true king, not Uzziah. He's an earthly king. But the true king is the Lord. And Isaiah, don't be concerned I still sit on my throne and I'm still filled with power and my robe still fills the temple. And then like if that's not enough, Isaiah, I mean God is it. God is the focus here. The throne and who sits on it is the focus. But just because he's so good, Isaiah then sees a seraphim angel 
one of the burning ones of God, the ones that when I take out my trash can, I look up to them and say, let me see one. He sees one of these seraphim angels, one of the burning ones, and then they're like, like this is stuff that's going on in heaven and in the throne room. They're saying this to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Again, holy, holy. And I started to think about that. I said, that's amazing because they're emphasizing his holiness. Not one time, yeah, he's holy. But three times he's holy, 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 showing emphasis. And not only that, but I think of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And the angels are like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the earth is filled of His glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He's emphasizing in the Father. He's em- they're emphasizing on the Son. They're emphasizing on the Holy Spirit. They're emphasizing on His holiness, and Isaiah is seeing this unfold. Are you with me? Has your life said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord? And Isaiah comes to the point where he sees all of this. And the only thing he could say is like, I'm the man. Of course, I would be blessed to see this vision. No. He says, woe. Woe is me. He's basically, his mind has been rocked. And the Lord is going to renew his mind. And what he's saying is this. I can't say the words that the angels say. For I am not holy. I'm a man. Isaiah now. The prophet of God. The man of God. The warrior of God. He says, I am a man that has sinned. And he calls out what his sin is. When the holiness of God touches you, that you can't do anything but confess the sins. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. You could define what you think that means. It could mean he curses. It could mean he speaks perversely. It could mean he gossips. It could mean he uses his words for things that are not honoring the Lord but dishonoring him. All we know is he's a man with unclean lips. But then the Bible takes us deeper and he says this, out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. So I think when Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips, he's also saying, I'm a man whose heart is crooked to its core. When I see the holiness of God, I see the unholiness of me in me. And I also speak and I also live out that unholiness which resides in me. He comes to that point of confession. This should make you feel hopeful. (laughs) Because God is such a good God. He says, I can't speak. I can't do this. My mouth speaks what it shouldn't. And I hang out with people that don't speak what they should either. So what Isaiah is saying is this, and please listen to this. And maybe you know someone today that needs to hear this. And you need to call them today. You don't have to send them the link. You don't have to send them the preaching unless you want to. But you need to have lunch with them, coffee with them, breakfast with them, and love on them and say this. Because Isaiah Isaiah said it, and they may be saying it, and you may be saying it, and this is what he's saying. I can't do it. I'm unqualified. Remember when we tapped into that a couple weeks ago? What is he really saying? I'm unholy. I'm unholy. I can't do this. How many of you know God's calling you to go, but you're wrestling with God, your conversation with God on the other end of heaven Sounds like this. I can't do it. And the Lord is like, catch a vision of who I am and renew your mind and know that you can't do this. I'm unqualified. I'm unholy. You know anyone that's thinking like that? So the Lord says, just go to him. And the Angel, which is a seraphim, his hand with a burning coal from the altar touches his mouth. He says, Behold, I've touched your lips. I've touched that in which you confess today. The very hand of God is touching the very thing 
that Isaiah says is full of sin. Come on, I want you to meditate on that for a moment. What do you need God to touch today? Because it's that one thing, that sin, or it's those things that is stopping you or that's stopping these people that we're praying for that are called to actually go. And needs to start right here. The Lord wants to renew you. And he wants to deal with those sins. He touched my mouth. He touches my lips and he says, your guilt has been removed and your sin has been atoned. And when this is over, I want you to meditate on this. The prophet Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord instantly right after that. And the Lord says to Isaiah a very specific question. He says, Isaiah, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? From what I know of God, because I don't fully know him yet, (laughs) from what I know of God, is that he's asking a question because it's because, not because he didn't know the answer to it. He's asking the question because he wanted to know if Isaiah has received his revelation in it. You always hear me say this when he says, Adam, where are you? It wasn't like Adam's like, I got you. I know how to hide. It was a question from God saying, I'm not asking you this because I'm searching for the answer because I am the answer. I'm asking you this to see if you have searched and found what is good for you. After Isaiah has this whole encounter and as the angels touch him and the presence of God has consumed him, the Lord says, um, yeah, so who's going to go for us now, Isaiah? And Isaiah, the work of the kingdom did not, was not determined by Isaiah's answer. What was going to happen with Israel did not determine what Isaiah was going to do. Because I've read the Bible long enough to know that if it's not Isaiah, hey, I've recognized that I'm not going to put all my chips on a man anymore. You know why? Because this man has failed you. And you know what? Those men have failed me. So you know what? All my chips have to go to the one who is the answer. And it's God. So Isaiah, you don't want to do it? Eh, I'll bring the next person in. I don't think the question, Isaiah, there's a problem now. Who should we send? I don't think the scales of heaven determined on Isaiah saying, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. I don't think all the angels were like, what did he say? Did he do it? I don't think anyone was confounded. I don't think anyone was confused. I don't think heaven was broken for a moment. I don't think all of heaven stood quiet and said, what is he going to say? Is he going to fight for us? I don't think any of that happened. I think the best thing that happened was that the things on earth finally came into agreement with the things of heaven. Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Why? Because I saw heaven in its glory and I'm willing to put my life on the line for it. Heaven. Heaven wasn't on the line because of a life on earth. A life on earth was on the line because of the life in heaven. So they weren't all like, oh my God, did he do it? Because his answer determines where the kingdom of heaven goes. No, it doesn't. The best thing Isaiah did for himself was to say, yes, Lord. The best thing that you could do for yourself is to say, yes, Lord. And it's the beauty that the Lord still comes to us. Still looks at us. And says, will you do it? And that right there is such a humbling thing. Because I know that there, a, there is hundreds of thousands more qualified than I am. 
but yet heaven stops on earth and says, but will you be available to do it for me this time? But Lord, how will I go? How much money will I take? When the Lord took 72 of his disciples, oh man, thank you Lord for bringing this to my memory. He says, go to every village that I'm going to go to. I'm going to send you before me. Do you remember what the Lord tells them? Nobody? He says, take nothing with you but the clothes on your back. Don't take a, a suitcase of clothes. Don't take a sack full of money. Nothing. You go by yourself. What was he saying? I don't need your resources. I don't need other man's resources. All I want to know is if you two are available. And I'm going to send you by twos. Isaiah, will you go? Oh, but I don't have enough money. But wait, I'm not creative enough. But wait a minute, I'm not anointed enough. But I'm not studied enough. But I, and he's like, you're condemning yourself. Will you make yourself available and will you go? What do we need to answer yes, Lord? We need to renew our minds. We need to say what Romans 12:1 says. Present your bodies a living sacrifice unto the Lord, which is holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service, your spiritual worship. Give it all to him. Do not be conformed, verse 2, into this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Isaiah was operating on a path that he was not called to operate in anymore. And the Lord says, let me touch your lips. And from that moment on, Isaiah's life would be transformed forever. If you study the rest of it, we don't have time. He's not going to say, guys, I saw an angel and he touched me and heaven's amazing. Isaiah 6 is one of the toughest messages in the Bible. He's like, the Lord says you're going to be doomed. There's, and it was a hard message to preach. But he got the revelation that he's not preaching anything out of his own earthly intellect. He's preaching the heart of heaven. And they're responsible for the response that they give to God. Come on, church. The mindset of serving him. The Lord can and will forgive you and take away all your guilt and take away all your shame. And he forgives of all your sins. And only there can Isaiah find himself answering the question as he has received for himself the righteousness of the Lord. And he says, who will I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am finally. I'll send, send me. Let him touch you. Let him renew your mind so you could take hold of what your calling is, which is to go. But I'm called to sing, but I'm called to play, but I'm called to preach, but I'm called to teach, but I'm called to dance, but I'm called to be a doctor, and I'm called to be a accountant, I'm called to be a, a lawyer, I'm called to whatever you feel you're called to be. I will say this, the first thing you're called into is Romans 12.1. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy unto the Lord. That is your spiritual worship. That's where it begins. And then you'll understand the rest of this as you renew your mind. You're more than able to do all the things that God's called you to do when you're in him. Because now you're not alone. Because now you go with a purpose and for a purpose. For the glory of Christ and the salvation of Christ to be heard and to be received. I'm here to tell you guys, and maybe you know someone else that you need to talk to today, but I'm, I want to tell you this, that you were created for this. And you are called to go. To go to your neighbors and go to your friends and go to the one in the marketplace. But just go. I don't know. I'm not convinced yet. Yeah. Paul writes to the church of Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 10 of Ephesians. He says, you're his workmanship.
He says that if you're created in anything, <laughs> hallelujah, you're created in Christ. And if you're created in Christ for anything, you're created in Christ for good works. And God has prepared these things beforehand. And he's calling you so that you could walk in them. So I'm here to tell you that you are created for this. Stop justifying, stop complaining, and stop looking for reasons. None of it is going to fall on your lap. The only thing is, truly come to the word of God and catch revelation of what the Lord wants to show you. And come to the place where you could say, I'm available, Lord. Here I am. Send me, forgive me. I've come to the right mindset. Church, you or someone you know, walk in his good works. The things that he's already prepared for you. The things that are there before you could ever think of them. Go and walk in what Christ Jesus has set for you. Are you available on this day to accept such a high calling from God? That's where I end. That's where I end. Would you accept? Would you be available to accept such a high calling from God? Your high calling, one last time. What is my high calling again? Can you remind me? Does anyone know it? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but let the transformation of the renewal of your mind take place, that by testing you will discern what is the will of God and what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. Would you accept the high calling of God upon your life today? It's not me. It's nobody. You could leave this church and go to the church next door. And that man that gets on that podium is no different. He is a priest among priesthood. You are a priesthood, Peter says. Will you accept the high calling that God has called you to walk in? Go. 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 With the revelation he's given you, go. With the miracle he's done for you, go. With the testimonies you hold on to, go. For it's the power of God and salvation for all who believe. Go. Accept the high calling of God. Amen. Lord. We thank you. Because I am Isaiah. Not the warrior, the man of God, the prophet of God. I'm Isaiah, who stands before you and says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm in desperate need of your righteousness. Lord, I struggle in my mind. Lord, I struggle in my heart. Those struggles make me lose sleep, Lord. I'm Isaiah. And all I could say, Lord, is you are holy. I make myself available because I'm not what others can say I am I'm not what I could present myself to be I am exactly who you know I am 
And I know that in this room, no one, no, not one person is different. We are all who you know we are. I don't have the resources. I don't have the money. I don't have the creativity. I don't have all the things that I could, others may have to do great things. All I have is unavailability to say yes. An opportunity to say yes. A revelation to say yes, Lord. Here I am, send me again. And that's enough for you. Because you will work it all out for your good and for your glory. I don't want heaven to align itself with me. <laughs> what a sad prayer. I want my earthly self to align with the glories of heaven. Fill me, Lord. Touch this body. Those that are sick, those that are traveling, those that couldn't make it, touch this body. Here we are, send us. Mm.